Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This week, reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from December 31st, 1983, tape, whenever Bill Watts decided to go down to the TV studio and stand at the podium in 1983. I am the great Brian Last, my pleasure to be with you once again, and joining me, of course, Mr. New Orleans himself, the star of Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. I like my pizza with crust. Other than that, <laughs> six days after Christmas here, and things are splendid and wonderful in the world of Mid-South Wrestling. We're really heating things up, man. We've been, been having a lot of fun. I keep repeating, it was so good to get past that dead period. And now, things are really escalating, and boy... Bill Watts on commentary this week is certainly an escalator of sorts. Yeah, Bill Watts is in great form on this episode. It's such a fascinating episode, Mike, because there's no Boyd Pierce. Jim Ross is there at various points, but this is really about Bill Watts selling all of us on his wrestling company. And he is so smooth, and he is so good at the podium. Every now and then he stutters, but it doesn't matter. He looks right at you at home. He tells you what you're about to see. He explains stuff. And of course, he goes off on Russia multiple times throughout the show, and we'll get to some of that. But Mike, let's go to the show open. Here, December 31st, 1983, obviously the final Mid-South Wrestling Television episode of the year 1983. First of all, we want to thank you, because in the five states in which Mid-South Wrestling airs, you, by tuning in, have made us the number one television program in our time segment in every market we're in, and we certainly do thank you. Got an exciting show here for you today. We have Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA in a notice qualification match inside a steel cage with Wrestling 2's mask at stake versus the Mid-South Tag Team titles, Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Also, Hacksaw Jim Dugan against Crusher Darso. We've got the Midnight Express. We've got Terry Taylor. We've got a lot of exciting action. First of all, Again, a new concept by Mid-South. We've started taking our cameras on the road and, and getting into the, the training habits and different things of the wrestlers. And we've been fortunate enough to see a new concept with Mr. Wrestling 2 as the coach of Magnum TA. And they work out in all kinds of weather. And remember one thing, without pain, there is no gain in the sporting world. And certainly, we're going to see as Magnum TA pays the price. Let's listen and enjoy the music of Rocky. Well, Mike, we won't be hearing the music of Rocky. We'll go back to that in a moment. But what do you think of this open Cowboy Bill Watts talking about Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2? They will work out in any kind of weather. It doesn't matter. I'm not sure what exactly he was saying there. But show open and the new concept of showing wrestlers working out and filming things on the road. Well, I think what he meant about any kind of weather when you're talking about this first segment that they're going to throw to is they're outside working out TA and two, and it's pretty chilly in Oklahoma where, when they're working out. So I think that's what he was alluding to when he mentions the, they work out any kind of weather. The, I like Watts actually mentioned number five in the five markets they're in. I, to be frank, you know, I know channel 26 where uh, WGNO, where they were on in new Orleans. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind when he would say that that mid South was the most popular show not only on that network but in the area in that time slot for sure i mean 
and that was an independent station. Uh, so I, I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, I, I actually think Watts is not like exaggerating. I mean, this is to me, I'm sure we could look it up and try to do some digging and figure it out. But I, I think that shows the popularity of wrestling during that time. Now, they were coming off a, a lull, a down period based on the conversations you and I have had over the last few months. But even then, things have picked up in the last month with the midnight coming in and and now things escalating, you know, two in the TA partnership. So when he says number five in the five markets they're in and, you know, decides to toot his own horn like Arn Anderson always says, toot, toot. I mean, I kind of think he, I don't think he's lying. I think he's on to something here. So uh, watch is watch is good here, though. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, even during the down period, there's a difference between not buying a ticket and attending and not watching TV. Even when Mid-South was at its worst, I'm sure everyone was still watching. It's about getting people to actually buy the ticket and leave the house. They have to see people they care about and matches they want to see. But in terms of being number one in his time slot in every market, I mean, it sounds crazy to say this, but it's not outrageous <laughs> that that may yeah. actually be true. Yeah, that's it. And that's what that's the point I was trying to convey. I mean, you know, nowadays, if if you heard any promoter of not just wrestling, but anything go off about, I mean, you know, they, nowadays it's the demographics and, and all these things. But, you know, you, it's it's almost like, OK, you know, you can stop. We We realize you're spinning the numbers to make yourself look better than what you may look. But whatever. I I think it's. There's nothing about when he says that that makes me go, oh, he's there's no way he's telling the truth. Because, I mean, I knew so I I just recall being on the schoolyard, you know, as a kid in elementary school during this time. And everybody we, we were all talking about Mid-South wrestling, like at recess and lunchtime. And I can't like give you, oh, yeah, specific days and times where we were talking about, oh, yeah, did you see this episode? But I can remember like there's a friend of mine I went to uh, grade school with, Cedric. And I still talk to him to this day, and I could I, I have distinct memories of talking to him about Mid South wrestling, like at lunch or recess, and and um you know he's he's not a fan anymore of wrestling. He's big in the UFC, but you know he was just like me. He was he was into wrestling, just like most of the kids were. And I just remember we would all talk about it. So I know my where I went to school wasn't unique to that. It was just you only had X amount of stations back then. If you didn't have cable. So you probably, I don't think Bill Watts is lying. Like, it's not a far-fetched thing, and I think you you drove that home for me there. Well, from Bill Watts at the podium, we will return there in a moment, but now we're going to get a video of Magnum TA training with Mr. Wrestling 2. There may have been a video here of them wrestling to some music from Rocky, but it's, of course, not on the WWE Network version. But let's go to this footage. Although we will hear the audio, we'll describe it on the other side. They'll be indoors working in the gym, and then outdoors working on their knees. We'll talk about that on the other side, but also we will return to Bill Watts at the desk before we wrap things up. Mr. Wrestling number two has become a tremendous superstar in wrestling, the champion of champions, and he's developed that tremendous reputation with the help of a, the feared million-dollar knee lift. No other wrestler in wrestling has mastered that hold. But as we see here, Mr. Wrestling 2 is giving Magnum Terry Allen some advice and a workout on the lower body. And Mr. Wrestling 2, I know that your lower body is extremely strong. That's what the, your goal here is with your, uh, with your pupil. Well, that's exactly right. In order to have uh, the power and the, the drive, you've got to work on your lower body. And that's exactly what I'm preparing him for. Uh, T.A., if you would, let's get some, uh, some uh, pushes here. Push us to the side. 
All right, come on down. I want you to go all the way down to where you can stretch these muscles in here. That's it. Uh, it's been a it's been a very interesting interesting time in, in the preparation of a potential superstar professional athlete. But now we're very privileged to, to be behind the scenes in the training area, the training camp, Mr. Wrestling 2, and I know that uh, this is a very privileged information and the first time that, to my knowledge, that you've ever shown anyone the training techniques in perfecting the million-dollar knee lift. Well, you know, I've always been uh, in the past a little evasive on, on answering your question when you did ask me about the knee lift. Well, what it all boiled down to, yes, I was preparing him for the knee lift. He didn't know anything about it. Uh, but now he does. People out there are going to know, and, and I want... I've always wanted to create another man to carry on perhaps one of the most devastating moves to professional wrestling. Four-step run and drive with it again. Okay, come on. Very good. Again, hold your arms in the air where you get a little more coordination there. All right, come on down. Okay, very good. Now get back about 10 steps, coming with a driving knee. Let's see you pop the bag, baby. Come on. Give it hard. Come on. Let's see something. There ain't nothing running. I want to see something running out of the bag. Come on. Come on. Hit it. Oh, hang on. Let me show you how it's done. Okay. That's the way you do it, pal. That's it. Understand? That's the way you've got to be done. Well, we can still see who the master of the knee lift is, but Magnum T.A. is working on it and training hard. And with his determination, Magnum T.A. could come right on along. Now we're going to see just how much this intensive training has paid off as we go to New Orleans for that important title mat bout. But first, these words from Mid-South Wrestling Network. Well, there it is, my T.A. and two in the gym and then outdoors. Tight shot early on, so you see Jim Ross and Mr. Wrestling 2, and then finally you pull back and you realize, yep, he's still in his white shorts that he was in inside, but now he's outside. And I don't know why, but when they switch the camera angle and show Mr. Wrestling 2 running up with his knee lift, I just start laughing. And then he's like, see what I did, pal? And Magnum TA has to sell it. Like, yeah, wow, very cool. But Mike, what are your thoughts on this segment? So one thing real quick. Uh, what happened was the segment that's missing from uh, if you're watching on the network is they throw to a quick it's might not even be 30 seconds of magnum doing the uh, belly to belly on a couple of folks it was like link uh doug vines was one of them i think uh, butch, butch reed was one of them as well it was like three or four clips of ta and that that was set to rocky for that quick clip it, it might not have been 30 seconds it was pretty quick and then that's when they go to the workout section where I guess, you know, they've got Magnum in there and two looks glorious. He's got the 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 white undershirt tucked into these white. I don't know, they ain't Daisy Dukes, but they ain't shorts I'd wear. Let's say that he's got his mask on, obviously. And T.A. is doing leg presses on a, a very old leg press machine, but it looks functional. And but the one that got me, Brian. With, there's a couple things with this workout. One, they're out in the cold in Oklahoma, obviously. And two has a black leather jacket on over his undershirt in the white shorts. But when they, they're driving the knee, or I guess Magnum's trying to drive the knee through what they call a sack of potatoes. But that ain't potatoes what started coming out of <laughs> when, when two busted it open. I couldn't tell what it was, to be frank, unless they were the most unless they're the smallest potatoes known to man. But the thing that got me was they pan out far when T.A. is hitting the, the knee. Two has his wrestling boots on. 
out there <laughs> with the I white didn't pick shorts. Up on that. Good job. <laughs> it, 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 it is it is a funny visual as Jr. is in this. I, he, I guess Jr. has got dress shoes on. And he's in his dirt, holding the bag on one side, holding the sack from one side. Two's holding the other side. Ta is running and doing the knee lift, and the visual of uh, of two with the leather jacket and the mask and. And the boots is killing me. And then that's when you see two do it. No, you do it like this. And that's when he busted the sack open and everything. But it seemed like potatoes fell out. It's like dirt fell out. It's a hell of a visual. But he's training. Look, man, they're they're going Rocky style, man. Like, and that's the thing. Rocky four hadn't come out yet when they show Rocky, like, you know, training like in Russia. But it's it's I mean, I, I don't want to say it reminds me of that because it's not that. But they're using they're using all the outside elements and. They're using a sack of potatoes to teach him how to do the knee lift. It's more kind of Rocky Three with just him being trained, or I guess even early Rocky with Rocky and Mickey, with Mister Wrestling Two being the masked Mickey. I guess. Yeah. They're certainly giving him the build up, and from that we oh, go yeah. to the match, Mike, from New Orleans, Christmas night, nineteen eighty three, the Mid South Wrestling Tag Team Champions Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart versus Mister Wrestling Two. And Magnum TA, no DQ, cage match, tag titles on the line, Mr. Wrestling 2's mask at stake, and we see clipped highlights with Watts' commentary. We're going to have a lot of audio here, but before we get there, Mike, what are your thoughts on these stipulations? Because to me here, without seeing the local promos, obviously it feels like a lot of this was just sprung on us. Yeah, a lot of it. Like Mr. Wrestling's two masks at stake all of a sudden in this feud. Were they even having a feud, these two tag teams? Um, no. See, like, yeah, it would have made sense if we'd have got the the local promos because I'm pretty sure, and I, I don't have the local promos from this, but I'm pretty sure that they built this up because it's Christmas night. Uh they would I can't see Watch just springing the whole cage match on us right here. Because that's the other part. They're in a cage. So you know he didn't just spring that up on us. And then, like you said, two's mask is at stake. And I thought they also said no DQ. Is that correct? That is, in fact, correct. No DQ, cage match, mask on the line, tag titles at stake. And before we even get to this match, Mike, we hear an interesting little, I guess, story about the behind the scenes of this match, according to Bill Watts. Let's hear this. We'll hear more about it during the match, but let's go to the intro first play important parts in key matches a young 14 year old boy is warning to me and i just happened to mention something to wrestling too really involves some strategy that came about in this steel cage match also the intensive training magnum ta has been doing his courage was pushed to the limit a lesser man would have folded and given up but now we're going to join in new orleans this match in progress with Magnum TA and Wrestling 2, one fall, no disqualification for the Mid-South Tag Team titles, and Wrestling 2's masks at stake. Let's join that action right now. And that's what we do, Mike. We go to New Orleans, like we said, but a 14-year-old boy's warning went into this match. I wanted to play that before we play some of the audio from the match. Any final thoughts before we go to the first batch of audio? Yeah, that's odd, right? A 14-year-old boy's warning. Why uh, what is that have to why are we bringing up a 14-year-old boy's warning uh, as we throw to this cuz we hadn't heard anything about 
this. I mean, the match is kind of out of the blue as is, although I'm not complaining because you got the talent that you have here. But that is very odd when you hear that quick soundbite as Watts throws us to the match. And quick point about the match, and I'm sure you're going to bring this up too, Brian. We're not seeing a whole match. They join it in progress, and it's only clips of it. And at times, if you're not paying attention, they cut so quickly, you don't even notice that you're missing very, very large chunks. Because I have no doubt uh, they went a long time this night for this match. It wasn't like they just got in there and did the few minutes that we're covering here. I'm sure they had a good 25 minutes for this match when it was laid out in the back. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure they went much longer than, you know, we see. Because only, we only get a couple of minutes of it. Another story of the match is the referee. As soon as you see footage of the match, what stands out is a tall, a big, a street clothes wearing referee in the ring. Real quick, let's find out what that's all about. As you see Carl Fergie, the surprise referee. And I think that if, as you watch this bout, it's a no disqualification bout. You're going to see that Carl Fergie surprised everybody and that he did a tremendous job as a referee. It seemed like the tremendous importance of the occasion brought that something in that's in everybody out and Carl Fergie did not take sides again this is a no disqualification match you see the powerful anvil Jim Neidhart well there it is Mike briefly we'll have more about Carl Fergie as the referee but Bill Watts explained that Carl Fergie not only did this but he really like stood up he really showed what kind of man he is by doing this the reason you know he mentions the reason Fergie's a ref is because both refs on the car that night were injured which I'm going to make a joke here. I'm not surprised. I mean, boy, these these refs take a beating just at a regular, you know, Irish McNeil taping. So if it's Christmas night and you got the you got the real the real big you know talents in the ring, of course these refs are going to take a beating. And that's how we get and end up with Fergie in the ring and and Grizzly uh, appointed Fergie as the ref. Which, like you said, we're going to get more shortly or later on on that. Well, let's now get more audio about this 14 year old boy who gave advice or a warning about this match for Mr. Wrestling 2 to Bill Watts when he was at his house. Bill Watts starts telling this story, and then he just trails off, and again, he's calling the match by himself, and we'll definitely talk about this with the next clip, but Bill Watts is amazing by himself on commentary. Other than Gordon Soley and Lance Russell, there aren't too many people in the last 40 years that were this good, and he's maybe the best ever. I mean, listen to Bill Watts on commentary here, but let's go to this first bit where we find out a little bit about this 14-year-old boy. No disqualification match. Wrestling 2's mask at stake. And just before the match time, I was at dinner with some very close friends, and the youngster, Jeb Bruno, who, who loves professional wrestling, watches it all and attends as many matches as he can. He said, two better watch out because they're going to try to take his mask off. He ought to wear two masks tonight. And I mentioned that to two. I said, you know, you if you, oh, look at that tremendous blow. No disqualification. Over the top rope, thrown right into that steel cage. Magnum T.A., any it just, I don't know how he has the courage, and yet he's coming up trying to get in the ring on instinct alone. We see later, again, these are the edited highlights. We see Magnum trying to fight his way, badly lacerated, back into the ring. And you see the punishment he's taken. And two trying to come to his aid. And, and again, these guys switching out. And they're doubling up on the on Magnum TA. They're trying to really, oh, I hurt for him. He's just, he's just in semi-consciousness right now. Laying on that floor in the dirt. And there's just a fine line as whether you're in the penthouse or in the basement. 
or the winner or the loser in this auspicious occasion. And it's so much rides. Two's put so much faith in Magnum TA because his mask is at stake. And again, like I say, wrestling two forewarned about these men and there's no disqualification within a cage where nobody can stop it that although if he loses he's man enough to take his mask off that they may try to take it off of him and let's see as it becomes something that almost overshadows the importance of the match at one time is their desire to humiliate wrestling too especially with Neidhart who too is punished so bad look at the excitement of wrestling too well, Mike, there we hear it, the excitement of Mr. Wrestling 2, who apparently heeded the advice of this 14-year-old Jeb Bruno, who was recently at a dinner that Bill Watts and his family had attended. What are your thoughts on all this? It's got to be. Look, I'm speculating here, so bear with me, everyone, because I don't know this for a fact, but it got to be the son of, of the commissioner, and that's, he's just dropping a name there. Because nobody else is going to know. I mean, I don't. I don't think you know. Just your general audience is going to know that. I, I'm. I'm. I've got to feel that that's what happened here. And for and the record, the, whole, the, the New Orleans State Athletic Commissioner was Emil Bruno. Yeah. So it was the, again. We we think it's probably the father based on the last name, but certainly a relative. And, and well, the thing that gets me is Watts says I was at a dinner with some friends and that just you know he could be lying but that's just what makes me feel that way i don't know for sure but that's what i'm thinking when i hear that well watts i would think is getting in good with the new orleans state athletic commission by saying that a big fan and jeb bruno now i don't know if it's the same guy but i googled the name and apparently there's a newscaster in new orleans named jeb bruno and apparently this man in his early days possibly is the man who saved Mr. Wrestling 2 in Magnum TA. We'll never know. Or maybe we will know. We'll <laughs> see what happens. But, Mike, let's go back to the end of this match now. There's a lot going on here. We're going to hear more about Carl Fergie being the referee and more about the story behind that. But when the action really picks up here at the end, listen to Bill Watts. Listen to the job he does solo, calling this big match. And in a lot of ways, this feels like a new episode of Mid-South, and you'll hear more about that later with some of the backstage segments we're seeing and some of the outside of the arena segments and, of course, video packages. But let's go now to the closing minutes of this match for the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Titles, Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart versus Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. Hacksaw Butch Reed taking over on Wrestling 2. Again, a no-disqualification match. I was very impressed. Both referees, official referees, had been injured in earlier matches on the card in Shreveport that, excuse me, in New Orleans that evening. And they, Grizzly Smith had to come up with a referee, and it turned out to be a coin toss because each team wanted a different referee. Oh, beautiful move by Wrestling 2. There he goes. He backdrops him. He's going for the coup de grace with a big knee, but the tag was behind his back. Neidhart had tagged out, and you'd see Carl Ferguson call the tag. Two didn't realize it, and he was just speared by Butch Reed, and Butch Reed has got the match in hand right here. And this right here, you see Neidhart so upset that right here, look at Neidhart saying, no, I want him, I want him, and Butch Reed can't believe it. No DQ. They got the man one. They got their titles intact because two right now is on Dream Street from that tremendous spear from behind. And there Reed again picks him up and body slams him. And he goes and he's got two. He knows he has control of two. Neidhart's saying, no, no, 
I was at a loss. I was watching this. I couldn't understand what was happening. And we'll see. Look at Neidhart pointing at himself. He wants to. So Reed, you know, team is a team, and you go through a lot of pain and training together. Reed gets it. But you see Neidhart come in. He's not trying for the pin. He's trying to unmask Wrestling 2. He's going for Wrestling 2's mask. If they'd just gone ahead and pinned him, Wrestling 2 would be forced to take his mask off. That was the stipulation of the contract. But Neidhart, now Neidhart picks him up in a fireman's carry position and does that devastating fall away that just beats everybody. There are two is without a doubt. One, two, and they're going for the three, but Neidhart, Neidhart picks two up, and Reed cannot believe it. Reed thought they had the match won. He was celebrating already, and you can see how upset Reed is. Reed is so upset. And look at Neidhart going to unmask wrestling two. And now we're going to see where a one man's obsession in the heat of battle changes the whole trend of events. We've seen this happen so many times in world events, so many times in pro football. There, Neidhart's got the mask and he's gloating, but he doesn't realize wrestling two had worn a second mask and he makes the tag. That allowed two to get out. That allowed two to escape. And we see Magnum TA come in and look at the tremendous heart and spirit of this young man. And then he catches Neidhart real off about belly to belly suplex. Right there it is. Right there it is. <coughs> you have new Mid South Tag Team Champions. Listen to the crowd. Listen to this crowd. Two, two, two. Magnum TA. Magnum TA has arrived. A superstar is born and proven. Well, there you hear it, Mike. The crowd going crazy. It's a really cool video, too, because they turn on some of the house lights, so you get to see the people in the balcony standing up, jumping up and down, waving their arms around. It's pretty cool to hear and see, as well as hear Cowboy Bill Watts just coughing. I don't know if he thought that the mic wouldn't pick it up, but here's Cowboy Bill Watts just coughing multiple times at the end. What are your thoughts on the commentary and, of course, the entire finish here? Let alone anything you want to say about Carl Fergie. Well, he Watts has done that cough thing at the Irish meal on numerous occasions. Every now and then he'll he'll turn away and not to this degree that you hear it here, but he's he's done it before. This is so Fergie. I actually like that they did this with with Fergie because it makes sense. And with him being a rep, he's a big man. He's, you know, wrestler. So he can kind of handle his own in here in this no DQ match. So that's good. You know, Neidhart, Reed is not happy. Like, it's it's kind of hard to tell because, again, this is not a this is not shot for TV, right? It's, um, I, I don't know if we explained it, but I say we're only getting clips of it. But not only are we just getting clips of what happens, it's a still shot. You know, they're, the camera's on, a, I guess, a tripod and they're, you know, zooming in at various moments. But you're not really getting the the full effect that you get if if this was on actual television being shot with multiple cameras. The other thing, too, is that I think takes away from this uh, as good as it was because it's a, it's a good finish because Reed's getting pissed with Neidhart. Neidhart's going for the mask instead of the pin. Neidhart pulls the mask off and then realizes, oh, damn, he's still got his other mask on. And then here comes T.A., who you know, because he's been tagged in and T.A.'s rock and rolling. But you can't. The one thing that that's it kind of hurts this is because Bill Watts is voicing this over in the studio or the TV station, wherever he's at, you really can't you can't get the full effect of the crowd. Would you agree with that, Brian, when you when you when they win? Because when they win, 
The, the, you can see the fans kind of through the grainy footage. And you can uh, hear them a with, bit. You can hear it definitely is up from what it was, but you can't get the full taste of it. No. Right. But but if you look at them and you can see them when they first pan out and they, they turn the house lights on, um, you, you can see that the fans come up, but the, the noise doesn't match what what actually happens because, you know, Watts is voicing this over. And another thing that was interesting, man, if you watching it you'll see the cops too like by the entryway like they they like get in position like okay we got to make sure you know <laughs> these heels get out of here alive i guess it was very interesting when you see it because you hear cornet always talk about the cops and whatnot and uh you know i guess making sure the wrestlers have proper escort to the back but the cops come running uh when, when the when the pinfall happens you'll see them at the at the very bottom of the screen if you're watching i liked it i liked the finish I've seen the two mask thing before. I think you and I both have seen it in Smoky Mountain Wrestling where the mask is ripped off of a bullet bob and he's got the other one on. So we've we've seen this on a number of occasions. I thought this was good. You know, you got new champions and it's it's Nightheart's to blame because he was so preoccupied with just I'm gonna get this damn mask off. Like, well, if you just would have beat him, the mask would have came off. And it shows the the heel not really thinking. So I I liked it. I thought this was good. I thought the finish was good. A nice little story they told. We'd have saw we'd we'd have understood it a lot more if we could actually see the full match, if we could get the whole thing. But as is, I think we only get, I don't know, maybe six minutes of it at best, uh, maybe seven. But it's still good, man. This was good and new champions. I will say though, during the match, when Nightheart keeps pulling up wrestling too and going for the mask instead of pinning him. Things change after the match. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it kind of makes Butch Reed a babyface, I think. He's on the apron saying, come on, what are you doing? And the guy's just being a complete heel, complete jerk, and going for the mask. What do you think? Well, that's the thing. If all he had to do was pin him and the mask would have came off anyway. So it's like Nightheart was a dumb jock. Yeah, they made him an idiot. (laughs) They made him an idiot here. But I don't know if that made Reed the uh, you know look like a face because I think Reed's logic is just pin him. If you pin him, we'll get the mask. So there's no need to try to rip the mask off. So I don't think Reed saying just pin him, you know, and and saying what are you doing, you idiot. I mean, we can't hear what he's telling him, but it's obvious from the demonstrative acts that Reed is making on the apron. I mean, he's he, you can see him. Reed, let me tell you what Reed's doing. Reed is doing a phenomenal job of speaking without his voice being heard. Yes. In that corner. Yes. He, I'm like, you hear it all the time. If you talk to any old school pro wrestler, they will tell you, man, you're in that ring. You're not selling for the first row, second row, third row. You're selling for the guy up at the top. And Butch Reed right here on that apron is selling for the guys in the last row at the municipal. Like he's in, he's doing a phenomenal job of it when he's like, Nightheart, what are you doing? He's got his hands up. He's like, dude, like he's just making these gestures. Like, what are you doing? Just pin him. And then when Nightheart's got the mask and he's acting like, hey, I got the mask. Because Nightheart doesn't even realize he's got another mask on. He's just like, hey, Butch, I got the mask. Reed is like, turn around. Like he's making these motions. And Butch Reed is phenomenal with the motions. Again, he's speaking without talking. And it's great. Um, but I don't think Butch, I don't think Butch kind of comes off as a baby face here because I think Butch is kind of just trying to say, dude, we know what the stipulation is. Just pin him. We'll get the mask that way. Well, there is still some more talking about this. We get 
Bill Watts shooting us to some locker room interviews, the first one being Jack Curtis Jr. interviewing Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2, the new tag team champions. Let's go to this. We'll come out of it and go to the next one. But Jack Curtis Jr., one of my favorite figures who randomly shows up on camera on Mid-South Wrestling. He's been the replacement ring announcer. We've heard him do interviews before. Here he is with TA and 2. Every sporting event, there's a winner and there's a loser. And we are very fortunate in that Jack Curtis was going to interview the new champions, a very excited, a very jubilant, a very proud couple of athletes, Magnum TA and Wrestling 2. Let's listen to that interview now. Gentlemen, I'm standing in the dressing room with the new Mid-South Tag Team Champions. They was one of the most exciting cage matches I've ever seen in New Orleans. And here are the champions. Magnum T.A. and Mr. Wrestling number two. Well, you know, T.A. has lived up to every expectation I expected him to. He's living up to what I used to carry for many, many years. Never give up. It's a fighting battle to the end, and he has inherited that. He has fought right down the line. You know, any other man I've seen many times get smashed in that cage, fall to the ground, and completely give up. This man didn't give up. He kept on fighting. He kept on going. And that's why we have these here today. Besides that, we were in a cage match. No disqualification. And that was the other precaution that I personally took by putting another mask on. Because I knew and I felt within my heart that these guys would go at any extent to try and peel my mask off in the ring. If I, I agreed. If I lost, it would come off automatically. But I took precautions and I wore an extra one. What do you say, partner? I told you, Tuski, <laughs> it all paid off all those hours of work, all that hard training. It was worth every single bit because this is the greatest Christmas present I've ever had. I know two feels the same way about it. It was the hardest fought battle I've ever had in my life. But I was there right with you. Boy, you give me the encouragement I needed, and now we're the champs. You got that right. <laughs> well, there it is, Mike, in the dressing room. And we don't see a lot of those interviews, but in the dressing room, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA celebrating with Jack Curtis Jr. What are your thoughts? Man, you know, I know the footage is grainy and it's old, but they 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 really look like they've been in a I don't know. I mean, they're not blood like they're not busted open bad. Actually, TA is um he's got a bandage on his head. But they they really look like they've been through a war in a cage. Yeah. They look uh, like they survived like a football game in the mud. <laughs> they just yeah, look, they're yeah. all bloody and just sweaty, dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they look they they look dirty like like just they just look like they've been through something. They look like they've been through a fight, which is how they should look. And again, TA's bandaged up, so you can't really, you know, it's not like he's gushing or anything. But, you know, I've, I've, to me, I feel like Two's tights, you know, he's got the white tights with the black band up top. I feel like Two's mask and tights are dirty. They, you know, they're showing, they're showing the signs of the fight they were in. And Magnum, he truly comes across at the end of that as that, you know, white meat baby face from back in the day. A good looking guy. And he's excited, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I took your coaching and I, I utilized what you gave me. And now look, we're champions And I, there's something to that. And it happened on Christmas night, you know, so it's like the fans got a little something that were there on Christmas night. Well, we just heard the happiness of the new tag team champions. Let's now go to the other locker room. We're at a table is Butch Reed. Jim Neidhart, and for some reason, Tom Lentz, just sitting there observing all this, and Jack Curtis Jr. once again. Tell me if you pick up on a different tone with Jack Curtis talking to the winners and the losers. 
Let's go to this after Bill Watts does a brief intro. When you're winning, everything seems to go right and everybody gets along well. But losing creates a lot of pressure. And this next interview kind of caught us by surprise because you'd think that Reed and Neidhart would be clamoring for a return event for the Mid-South Tag Team titles. Well, let's listen as Jack Curtis in the other dressing room talks to the losers. Gentlemen, I'm in the other dressing room now, and I'm with the losers of the Mid-South Tag Team Championship. It was one of the most exciting cage matches I've ever saw. Hacksaw Butch Reed is here. Butch, it was a tough one. One thing about it, a cage match with no disqualification, there's going to be a winner. You fellas are losers. Hey, we should have been the winners. Let me tell you something. I had wrestling to beat, you understand? And this man, my partner right here, he's concentrating on taking his mask off instead of beating that sucker. We had him beat right in the middle of the ring. You understand? Let me tell you one. Let me make one thing perfectly clear around here. You understand? I paid the cost to be the boss. You understand? I took my partner, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, from out of nowhere, and I made him somebody right here at Mid-South. You understand? I am the general out there. And the problem with him is he thinks that now that he is the boss, let me tell you, I sacrificed my North American title for him. I got painted yellow behind him by that greasy lapdog. Now I've done sacrifice my, the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. We were the champions. We were the kings of the hill. And he blew it because of his stick iron head. Instead of the anvil, they ought to call this fool Jim the Iron Head Nine Heart. Because I have done put too much into him to have to to have to walk around like this in defeat. You see, the trouble is with him and a lot of people around here, they don't know their place. You understand? When we out there in that ring, I am the boss. I am the general. You see? You see his attitude right now? But you see, Butch Reed is always going to be Butch Reed. I'm always going to be the boss. And if anybody don't like it, then all they got to do is just leave. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard it from Butch Reed. It sounds to me like this interview is over. And so is this team. Well, Butch Reed seemingly wants to teach everyone their place. And we thought that that interview was over. We were getting ready to have an interview with Crusher Darso and Nikolai Volkov. The cameras were standing by when this happened that uh, I don't think that we were very surprised to capture on the cameras. I think that means that Jack Curtis's statement that this team is finished was certainly a, an understatement, without a doubt. And for Reed to say the things he said, 
and accused Jim the Anvil Neidhart of being hard-headed. This man is hard-headed, but he's also double-barreled tough. We'll see what Grizzly Smith does with this situation in the near future. But first, these words from Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there it is, Mike. Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart seemingly breaking up in the locker room with Tom Wentz there and then later getting into an argument with Butch Reed and Jack Curtis going right up to Butch Reed and saying, you are losers. What did you think of this? Yeah, you you asked the question before we went to that segment. You said, you tell me what you think about Jack Curtis and if he's got a different look or, or attitude. He's definitely got a different demeanor. He went from all smiles, teeth and gums, as I like to say sometimes, with the faces as they celebrated their tag title wins, to he definitely wasn't all smiles, and he gets in Butch Reed's grill. Now, the other thing, too, about this is, at first, like when they first cut to it and Jack Curtis is talking to Reed, Neidhart is just kind of sitting there listening to Reed, and he doesn't seem to be upset at all. So, And I know they kind of seem to have some words, and Reed was kind of chewing them out on at the ring and outside the ring as they left the ring. But Neidhart didn't seem to be, like, too worried. I guess he figured, you know, heat of the moment, you know, my, my friend just may have been mad at me at that time, but he'll get over it, you know. But then Reed really lays into him verbally, and Neidhart, like, looks up like, really, dude? This is what you're, this is, this is how this is going to go? Neidhart storms off. And like you said, Watts throws back to it, and then it's just Reed and Tom Lentz in, in the room, and that's when Neidhart approaches. Now, the other thing I want to mention is, as mad as Reed was, Reed, while he has some words for Neidhart, Reed is not the one who attacked Neidhart. Neidhart attacked Reed. So we're going to talk about, a, you know, if you want to say, well, who do you blame the breakup on? Reed is walking away when Neidhart attacks him. So he sneaks him from behind, essentially. And then you see Tom Lenson, I don't know who the heck else that is coming in there to, to pull you know, not hard off a of read. There's one guy time. that almost comes in too soon. If you notice there's one yeah. guy and I'm not exactly sure who it is. I think one of them may be Crusher Darso. One of them may be Bobby Eaton. I'm not sure, but whoever the first guy is, he jumps the gun maybe a half a second too soon. Uh, I think Darso is the guy to the right, just from the hair, but yeah. the first two on the left, I have no idea who that is. Well, we come out of the locker room, out of the dressing room, and we go back to Bill Watts, who's about to talk a little bit about Darso and Volkov, but of course, this really just is about Russia to set up the next match we're going to see. Let's go to the podium and Cowboy Bill Watts. Seems like whatever Russia does, they certainly don't scrimp on the power or the numbers of people it takes to get it done. They seem to go for the overkill. No different than Nikolai Volkov and his strategy with his new comrade, the Benedict Arnold, the turncoat, Crusher Darso, who is a powerful, powerful individual on his own right. But it seems like where one Russian is, there's another. There's been a wolf pack, an alliance, a mutual admiration society formed. And Hacksaw Dugan, he didn't have a great Christmas. Hacksaw Dugan, a proud man, and it was really great to see the support he got because I think people are getting into the situation with Volkov and Darso a little further than a sporting event. It's actually almost a statement for the United States and for patriotism. But let's join the edited highlights of this brutal battle between Hacksaw Dugan and Crusher Darso Christmas night downtown New Orleans. Mike, he's like a pastor for democracy. 
Because <laughs> it's it's just dead quiet. He's just at the podium saying these things. He's, he really look on on B, on BTT. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a little story because I, I don't think I've told you this before. On BTT many years ago, Doc and I would always make the comparison. And this is not. I'm not trying to piss off anyone who's religious. Uh, you know, I'm, this is not where I'm going with this. But Doc and I used to all, Doc had this thing. He was like, man, he's like, wrestling is just like religion. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, we're having this discussion and he's like, man, it's, you know, these guys are cutting promos and they're, and they're basically just, it's like a pastor up at the podium, man. They're, they're selling you something. And so one day we made a joke on the show. And again, this is not politically correct, but he was like, dude, think about it back in the day. You went to wrestling on Saturday night and you spent all your money. And then you went to church on Sunday and you had the tithe, so you spent the rest of your money. He's like, by the time Monday morning rolled around, you had to go back to work because you didn't been worked out of your money with wrestling and religion. Again, so I say all that to say, when you say he's like a pastor up there, like just at his podium, he really is. It's, it, it's really phenomenal when you listen to Watts with his, I don't even say he's, he doesn't even have a Wattsisms. It's just with this whole Russian thing, he it's like he's got an endless supply of material that's just waiting for him to talk about. And a lot of stuff he repeats, like Estonia and oh, all these things. Well, hold on. You know, you know what? Let's just go to the match because just now that you're talking about it, we can't really <laughs> avoid this. From New Orleans, once again, Christmas night, downtown, clipped. Randy Anderson, the referee, Hacksaw Duggan versus Crusher Darso. Let's hear some audio from Bill Watts on the similarities between Darso and Duggan, and then once again, this will just turn into something about Russia. Backing Hacksaw Duggan and backing the junkyard dog against the Russian invasion and already the fifth column, so to speak, of people who have swallowed their ideology. Darso sold out for powerlifting and wrestling and has just turned on everything that he's been brought up in I think what it says, look at the viciousness of Darso. I think what it is is a total consumption of self-indulgence by Darso. Total self-centered self-indulgence. Because he's turned on friends, family, wrestling associates, and country. And he has taken the Russian oath of allegiance or whatever type of ceremony or However, he's been tied to Nikolai Volkov, accepted a Russian flag on national TV and said, what has my country ever done for me? What has Junkyard Dog ever done for me? But you cannot deny the power. Look at the broad back straining into that bear hug as he's got the mighty Hacksaw Dugan definitely feeling his crushing power as he got his name Crusher Darso from being a tremendous power lifter. These two men also have a football background. It's hard to realize the same background out of America and yet look at the difference in the polarity of their belief, their desire, and their pride. Late in the match, late in the match, Hacksaw Dugan badly lacerated, crimson flowing, and Dugan has just gone crazy. He's just, it just you could see that emotion, that spirit firing out of him, and he's just made up his mind to heck with anything except physically dominating just wiping out Crusher Darso annihilating him like the Russian boot has annihilated so many countries around the world Afghanistan, Poland Czechoslovakia, Hungary Estonia, 
It's a chance for Dugan to express what he feels about the Russian oppression. Well, let's stop it there, Mike, and we'll get some more audio in a moment, but I guess we just summed it up there at the end. All of this is about Jim Duggan standing up for all the people that have been oppressed by Russia. What are your thoughts on any of the commentary here from Cowboy Bill Watts? Oh, he went off. He's talking about the fifth (laughs) column, swallowing up people, total consumption, and Darso's self-indulgence. He said, what what has his country ever done for him? They swallow up countries like Poland and Afghanistan and Czechoslovakia to Estonia. I mean, he's really rolling right there. <laughs> Watts is going off, man. He's just, I mean, he's exuding the hatred he has for that red that that Darso is wearing. I mean, it's, it's again, I, th- I said this a couple weeks back or a few, few episodes ago. You got to put yourself in the time frame, too. The Cold War is still a thing. And he's leaning into it. And he has no hesitation about it. And get used to it because it doesn't end for a while. It does not end. And let's now go to the end of this match. Once again, Bill Watts on commentary. And due to some of the things that happen here, we're actually going to come out of the match and go right to Bill Watts at the desk. But let's go to the Patriotic Cowboy. You see Crusher Darso in a mask of crimson. And you see the referee trying to restrain Dugan. This is not a no disqualification match. And Dugan is saying, get out of my way. Dugan wants the match all by himself, and he just sets the referee right up on the ring post. Dugan doesn't want a referee, but this match was not signed a no disqualification match. This match has an official in it, and the official has got to try to maintain some semblance. But you can see this is a basic struggle. This is just back alley brawling, and now Dugan has lost his cool completely. Right out here, he just throws the referee right out of the ring with total disdain. That should have been disqualification right there. Now we see Volkov sneaking up guerrilla tactic style, and he grasps Darso to get him out of the way of Dugan's devastating spear. Pulls something out of his tights, goes to hit Dugan. We see Dugan block it. As he blocks it, Volkov loses his control of it and falls in the ring. We see Darso picking it up. Volkov going to post Dugan, but Dugan stops it. We see the fans, the invite, the excitement. But then from behind, Darso, whatever that object was, Darso really KO'd Hacksaw Dugan from behind. And Volkov goes and gets and retrieves the object and gets out of there. And the referee, who Dugan self-destructed himself when he threw that referee out of the ring. The referee doesn't see any of this. Coming up injured, Dugan should have been disqualified. I think the referee's so hurt and so dazed, he doesn't realize it. And he comes back in, and there's Darso in the ring. There's no Dugan. The referee going on instinct alone. On instinct alone starts the count, the count, the fatal count that registers another victory, a victory for Russia, a victory for Crusher Darso, who Crusher Darso, badly bloodied, but so powerful. Crusher Darso, we may see, may be more awesome and more ominous than the Russian Nikolai Volkov, because this man, at least Volkov, is very proud of his homeland, of his country, Russia. But this is a man without a country, a man that has no scruples, a man that doesn't care, just wants Crusher Darso to be all there is. To add to the pain of the physical beating, the pain to the pride of losing, one other pain was added. Mid-South Wrestling has fined Hacksaw Jim Dugan $500 for deliberately throwing the official out of the ring. I understand the emotion. I I understand the pride. We see it every day in all different sporting events. But irregardless, steps have to be made that 
force people to understand that they cannot totally tear down every last semblance of official regulations in the sport. Therefore, Mid-South Wrestling has fined Hacksaw Dugan $500 to go along with the defeat and the agony. We'll be back with more from Mid-South after these words from the sponsor. Several things to unpack there, Mike. Love Bill Watts here explaining the rules at the end. Simple, straightforward, not overly emotional, just explaining this is how it is and it's reasonable. And even though it's happening to the baby face, you understand it. It's also $500. So especially for 1984, it's a reasonable sum. It's not, you've been fined $100,000, something unreasonable. But I'd like to get your thoughts on Bill Watts here at the end, but also any thoughts about the match and... You tell me what you thought. It appears, because it's slightly off camera, that when Volkov came down to help, he went off to the left, and all of a sudden security guards start going over there, and some fans start standing up. I'm thinking maybe he hit a fan or something, because, or maybe a fan hit him and he hit him back. I don't know. But what are your thoughts about all of this? Um, I don't actually, I don't, it's hard to tell because Volkov is just by the apron when he runs out, and then he moves Darso out of the way. And then Volkov is then swinging with Duggan. I don't. Volkov doesn't get anywhere near them at that moment when that fan is is yelling for the police to come over. I also saw. I couldn't tell if it was a young kid or something like try to jump the barricade at one point. But I don't think it was because Volkov hit anyone, unless he would have hit someone before he came running down the aisle, which I don't know. How I meant afterwards. Happen. I meant after he uh, did everything to Duggan. That's okay, when well, all of a sudden he goes kind of off frame, and that's when all of a sudden now gosh. security's going over there. So they they actually, if you watch before he goes off frame, there's actually a fan that tries to jump the barricade at one point. It looks like a young kid. That's what's funny. It doesn't look like an older person. So s- something happened over there, and then I don't know what it was. What's happening after the fact? Yeah, when he, once he's off frame, you can kind of see the fans looking that way too. And I, I don't know if something else was going on. I, I think it's something else. I don't know if it was Volkov. Something else happened. Now, I don't know if the kid originally when Volkov first comes out or whoever the fan was is trying to jump the barricade because they saw Volkov. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, when you saw what's happening, Duggan's about to lose and he's getting beat down. Something has definitely happened over there, but I, I think it's separate from whatever happened with Volkov. Like, I don't, I don't think Volkov hit anyone is what I'm trying to say. The incident was starting to happen when they saw Volkov. And then when he runs off, it's obviously escalating, but they pan so close in, you really can't see. Um, But a fan did try to jump it, and then it looked like another fan pulled that fan down, and then that same fan or another fan is like, hey, hey, run over here. Now, in the ring, I was going to ask you, are we to assume that the ref, like, had a concussion, and he just didn't remember that Duggan just, you know, dumped them out the ring on his head well that's the thing i was gonna bring up i was gonna bring it up to you too because at the end watts tries to explain it and say that randy anderson was just running on instincts but then again the decision was the decision overturned i guess that's what it was the decision was overturned right um no because okay well no matter which way it goes see duggan dumps randy anderson out the ring so right. he's kind of out cold for a little while but then in the end, when Duggan is outside fighting with Volkov, and then Darso comes from behind Duggan on the outside and hits Duggan with what looks like a foreign object that Volkov actually uh, dropped in the ring for Darso, Darso rolls out the ring. He appears to hit Duggan with that foreign object. So Duggan's knocked out on the outside. Randy Anderson rolls back in, and 
I guess he could have either DQ Duggan for dumping him out the ring, right? Or, or he didn't have to DQ him because Duggan's on the outside and his count there's a ten count. So no matter which way it goes, whether it's Duggan being DQ'd or counted out, Darso would have got the win either way. I'm assuming that Randy Randy Anderson's knocked out Loopy. You know, he what? didn't realize. Yeah, I think it's you know what it was. I'm thinking about the fine and. For some reason in my head, I went to, oh, they had to overturn the match and he got fined. But actually, it was just a fine after the fact by Mid-South Sports. Right, right. But in the end, the decision in the ring is, if you see Randy Anderson selling, he, I think he, yeah, he's counting. And then he realizes, oh, uh, he's knocked out out there. So he counts to 10. And then Darso's in the ring with his hands up like he just did something, but he really didn't. And then that's when Darso was awarded the victory. If I was Jim Duggan's lawyer, I would argue he wasn't DQ'd for throwing the referee over the top. How can you fine him for it? But an argument for another day. Mike, <laughs> the next segment's pretty cool. Now, there is a Midnight Express video that obviously we're not going to play on the air because it's really just to music and it's highlights of the Express in Mid-South for the last several weeks. But before the video, Cowboy Bill Watts at the podium talks a little bit about the Midnight Express and kind of addresses an issue you and I have talked about on the air, that they are a bit smaller than some of the other tag teams and some of the other regulars, quite frankly, the heavyweights, that we've seen in Mid-South over the last few years. Interesting stuff. We'll talk about it on the other side. Let's go to Cowboy Bill Watts. Fans in the Mid-South area have seen a lot of tremendously big, strong, powerful tag team combinations. There's teams that have had Bundy, a 420-pounder on them. They've had teams like Ladd and Bad Leroy Brown, these two massive giants. There's been teams like the Super Destroyer and Big John Studd, who was a, that was an awesome team. We've seen the team of Tony Atlas and Andre the Giant. We've seen the one-man gang teamed up. So there's, we've seen Kamala in team situations with the missing link. So we've seen some really big teams. So I think when mama's boy, or excuse me, I guess I'm not supposed to make it a real opinion, but Jimmy Cornette uh, come on the scene and tout the Midnight Express, and then they came to the ring, and they're very slight in stature compared to the massive teams, even like Reed and Nightheart, like Junkyard Dog and Dugan, that I think everybody said, gee whiz, uh, what's all the buildup about these guys? Well, let me tell you, I can understand now. They're a well-oiled machine. They use every bit of psychology, strategy. They're tremendously quick, fantastically quick. And that brings me back to mind of teams that weren't so big like the Grapplers that were very successful or like uh, Gordy and uh, Roberts with Michael Hayes. Uh, somebody's already coined it, a team with two and a half members because of Cornette outside. I think definitely a team to be reckoned with, a team that Magnum TA and Wrestling 2 certainly are going to have to meet and see if they can dominate. Let's go now to a videotape replay of some of the action and highlights with Jimmy Cornette. Well, there it is, Mike, and that's great stuff from Bill Watts. Putting over the Midnight Express, calming any concerns, any or any thoughts any fans at home would have that they're not big enough to compete with the stars of Mid-South Wrestling. And I think he does a really good job here of explaining all that, and also, for the first time, I think really lays the foundation for the future issues with Jim Cornette by just calling him a mama's boy here for the first time. I don't think he's done it before. We haven't heard that real aspect of Jim Cornette. He said it on the ring that he comes from a rich and powerful family, but now we're getting introduced to the idea he's a mama's boy. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, he is. He's 
it, the whole mama's boy is about to get ratcheted up. And I believe in late January, mid January of the next year, which I mean, we'll look, we're only a few weeks away from that. There's a promo where I remember it. Cornette says something like, well, Watts is about to, about to, I guess, fine him. And he mentions some amount of money. I don't know. I'm gonna make it up right now. $1,500, 2000. I don't remember what it is. And I'm mentioning this because right here, Watts says mama's boy. And when Watts mentions in this promo that I can recall in January, he's going to say something like, you know, I'm going to find, find you X amount of dollars. And, and Jim Cornette is looking in the camera, like whatever, you know, he has no worries. Like he gives zero, you know, what's about whatever Watts is saying about the fine. And then I think his last comment before he like storms off is, you know, you know what a thousand dollars is to me. And he looks, Watts right now, and he says, a call, La Mama, and he walks off. So I'm saying that because of what you just said, where he calls him a mama's boy here. It's like planting the seed for that. So, yeah, that's about to get ramped up. And, you know, he's also leaning in now, as he said, it's like they have two and a half men because you got to deal with that cornet on the outside. Now, like you said, he's been, you know, he's been laying into him as, as you know, this little weasel on the, he didn't say weasel, but you know, this little little guy on the outside that you can't trust. He said all those things, but the mama's boy term, I don't remember has coming up until this point. So as a, an astute observation, and it's definitely something that obviously is going to be a big thing as we continue with Cornette, especially with the Midnight Express. As we said, we get a replay package, some highlights of the Midnight Express, and then we get Bill Watts shooting to a video New Kid in Town, the Eagle song for Terry Taylor. Memphis highlights are played. He says next week, Terry Taylor, Kerry Von Erich, and Jerry Clower will be there. So Terry, Kerry, and Jerry on one show. <laughs> <laughs> what a team that is. And then we get our final match. Once again, we're going to go to the arena. This time, Oklahoma. We get a video of... Steve Dr. Death Williams and Hacksaw Duggan versus Kamala, The Missing Link, and Skandar Akbar. Bill Watts throws us to the video on the road, and we get a Jim Ross voiceover saying it's the largest crowd to ever witness wrestling in Oklahoma. Not a standard voiceover. They try to put this effect on Jim Ross, so it sounds like he's an old-time radio announcer or something. But any thoughts on all this before we play uh, Bill Watts at the show close? Again, highlights of an arena match in Oklahoma. Uh, nothing really. I mean, they just showed a, well, I guess they, they show the fans falling into the building. It's kind of reminiscent of when we saw the Superdome show, when, uh, there was that one event we saw where, you know, you see the fans on the outside, they're yeah, buying their tickets. That's right. Um, and actually a note that I wanted to make, cause I can't remember if I sent this to you, Brian. So my apologies is when they show them, I believe they've got the music R route 66 playing through the, on the original footage as they're like filing into the arena, but I can't remember if I sent that to you. So my apologies if I didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very reminiscent of what you saw from the Superdome when fans were uh, piling into the, to the dome. Let's go to the show close once again. And finally at the podium, Cowboy Bill Watts. Be able to bring you a lot of action like this in 1984, where you actually get to visit some of the different locations of Mid-South wrestling, tremendously exciting bouts, some of the greatest athletes in the world. And today, We've seen the new Mid-South Tag Team Champions. We've seen what intensive training under a very experienced coach-athlete can do for a youngster. Magnum T.A., a new star, is definitely born. 
We've seen a tremendous threat, a well-oiled machine with the Midnight Express and Jimmy Cornett spending his mother's money to get what he calls the best in the business. We know the threat of Russia. We've seen Crusher Darso, a man that I think is more treacherous than any, a man who lived in this country, grew up in this country. When Volkov grew up in Russia, naturally, he loves his own country. But Darso grew up and bit the hand that fed him, turned on everybody and everything. In this country, he's left it, and he's definitely totally self-indulgent and selfish, and I think he's only using Russia as a means to get what he personally wants. We've seen Dugan and we've seen Dog and the different things they have to struggle with. Next week here, we'll have Kevin, excuse me, we'll have Kerry Von Eric from Dallas, Texas, a tremendously exciting man. Jerry Clower, Country Music of the Year, Comedian of the Year for the last seven years. And Terry Taylor, the new kid in town. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. And there it is, Mike, the close of the show and the close of 1983. And in a lot of ways, the beginning of a whole new era of Mid-South wrestling. Any final thoughts on this, the end of 1983 in Mid-South? I'm really looking forward to 84. Not that I'm, you know, hated the end of 83, but there's so many things we had planted here as we would close out the year. We, you know, you and I went on for weeks like, man, we can't wait to get to the good part. <laughs> and we finally got here. So it's it's just good that we finally got here and we're going to get to some really good stuff going in 84. I mean, it's picked up, but it really, really gets a lot better. I mean, we're, you know, I, I know I'm not spoiling it much for anyone. I feel like a lot of our listeners already know a lot of the history, but, you know, we get the the music video is only a few weeks away for the rock and roll. And I just remember that as a kid. So there's so much that we've seen already. At the end of 83, as we've ramped things up, you know, we get the two and the TA thing. We got that going. But now we got the we also got the midnight here. And it's just that we we've got this core bunch now. But, man, it's like just the beginning in the opening. We're like in chapter one of a of a 12 chapter book. So you, know, you got 12 months in a year, but we're really at the, just the very beginning of the book. And and it's exciting what what, what plots plot lines are coming ahead. and the stories that are going to be told. So, I mean, as I close out 1983, that's a big thing I'm looking forward to doing this with you. You know, you and I, Brian, we've discussed like little things, but we've never really got in depth with a lot of Mid-South stuff. And we've talked about the dog on my show and, and the 605, but we've never really taken bits and pieces of Mid-South like we're doing with this show. So that's to me what's fun too, because I have my perspective, you have your perspective as seen as someone who's a little older. So it'd be fun to talk about these things going forward on the show as we get in 84, which is, again, going to be a blast. So that's my closing thoughts as we shut the door in 1983 and we lead to 1984 with Bill Watts bringing up more about Russia. Don't you worry about that. That's exactly right. And of course, until next time, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts, also on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, Mike, let the listeners know all about booking the territory and how they could find it. Well, you can give me a follow on Twitter first at Mike504Saints. Oftentimes, I'll post various clips from our shows that we do here. Uh, and then you can uh, check out Booking the Territory once per week, I have it ingrained in me twice per week, but it's once per week. <laughs> we do the NWA Saturday night shows. 
I'm still on that Smoky Mountain thing, man, because we did that for so many years. I mean, it was almost, you know, that was three years and nine months of my life doing two a week. But uh, we did the Smoky Mountain recaps. You can get all those episodes, actually, if you go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod. That's tinyurl.com slash bttpod. You can listen to all of our Smoky Mountain reviews that we did for many years. And right now we continue every single Thursday night. The shows drop at 7 p.m. Central Time, our NWA Saturday night on TBS recaps. As we wind down to the end of 1990, uh, there were some rough times in 90 to get to this point, but it's not horrible, but there's also things that you're like, God, what the heck are they doing? Um, we've gotten past the Norman the Lunatic nonsense with Abdullah the Butcher as baby faces. I, I don't know what the hell that was, but that gives you a, a flavor of some of the things that we've talked about. We call it down the middle. If it sucks, we say it sucked. Just because it was old school wrestling does not mean it was always airtight, brother, like I like to say. So anyway, come check us out. Again, tinyurl.com slash bttpod. You can listen to all of the shows there. Or you can just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from and come listen and enjoy. That's right. But until next time, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Tally-ho!